I invite you to turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Galatians and the very last verse of chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 26 to start with today. And we're going to get into the last chapter of the book of Galatians this morning. Due to guest preachers and Reformation Sunday, it's been a whole month since we were in Galatians together, so you might not even remember that we've been studying Galatians since the month of May. This is our 14th message in Galatians, and I'm projecting only one more after this to finish the book this month. I promise to finish it this year, and I plan to finish it even this month. Our series is called The Truth of the Gospel, because that's what was at stake in Galatia. The churches that Paul had planted and loved so much had been infiltrated by false teachers who were insisting that the Christians in the region of Galatia take on obedience to the law of Moses to be justified on the last day before God and to show their reliance on keeping the law by having all of the men circumcised. And if you remember, Paul was astonished and perplexed because it looked like the Galatian churches just might tragically abandon the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel of grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So Paul wrote this letter to try to rescue them from losing the truth of the gospel and everything that comes with it. So now we've reached the end of the letter where Paul has been laying out the practical implications of the gospel of grace. The Galatians were to embrace their freedom and embrace their identity as sons and heirs of God. And they were to not go back to slavery. Does any of this sound familiar? Yes, okay. You do remember a little bit about Galatians. They were not to go back to slavery, but instead to live out of their freedom. And out of that freedom to live in love and to live by the Spirit. Last time we were in Galatians, a month ago, we read that we are to keep in step with the Spirit, to walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to allow the Spirit to produce His fruit in us, and to keep in step with the Spirit. What does that look like, practically speaking? Well, that's what Paul gets into today. Paul didn't write any big chapter numbers in his letter. 525 immediately followed 520 is immediately followed by 526 and 61 and so on in the original. So that's what we're going to do we're going to read now. 526 through 610. And then we'll pray and we'll talk about what these verses mean and what they're telling us to be and to do in November of 2017. Let's read. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. 
Anyone who receives instruction in the Word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for giving us your word. What a gift it is to have the Bible, to have your own communication to us translated faithfully into our heart language, the language we speak and think and dream in. Here it is. We have these 11 verses, and they are a word from you for us today. Help us to hear them. Help us to get the message. Lord, whatever is in the way of that, move it. Whether that be our own sin, our own fallenness, our own distractions, attitudes, or anything that I bring as the preacher that's unhelpful, I pray, Lord, that you'd move all of that aside and help us to listen to you. Open our hearts, Lord, not just our ears. Open our hearts to receive the word. Plant it in us, Lord, and give us a harvest. We pray this in the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to start this morning in verse 9. I know that's a little different. Normally we start the first verse and we just keep on moving. But today I want to jump to verse 9. Chapter 6, verse 9 is one of my favorite Scripture passages in the whole Bible. And it is also our new hide the word verse for the remainder of 2017, or as long as it takes for us to to get it memorized. We've been on Galatians 2.20 now for some time, and I think we've got it down. You guys were strong this morning when we did 2.20. So now we're going to do Galatians 6.9, and it has a wonderful promise in it. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Let's say it together. Let's read it. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. What a great thing to memorize. Hide that one in your heart. What a wonderful promise. That promise is the title of today's message. We will reap a harvest. We will reap a harvest. This is the right time of year to talk about harvesting. This is harvest season when the farmers reap the crop that they've been so painstakingly caring for all year long. In fact, that's why Matt Modzel isn't with us this morning, because he has to be on a tractor today okay, to get the harvest in. This is the time for the return on their investment. And we sing about it all this month, right? And in Thanksgiving, we have all these songs about harvest home and bringing in the sheaves and and all the the songs we sing during thanksgiving have that harvest theme because it's that time of the year 
And we're thanking God for what He has provided for us in the harvest. Now the harvest in verse 9 of Galatians 6 is probably not about crops like corn and wheat and beans. Though it might be about fruit like the fruit of the Spirit. It, at least it's not primarily about corn and wheat and beans. It's, it's primarily a spiritual harvest. It's a return on a spiritual investment. It's the blessings that come with eternal life. The blessings of holiness. The blessings of knowing God. The blessings of all the good gifts that the Lord of the harvest has promised to His faithful children. Some of those blessings will be seen now in part. Maybe even in corn, wheat, and beans. But most of these blessings will come in full in the future. In the age to come. But come they will. We will reap a harvest. That's the promise of God. If we don't give up. Did you catch that at the end of verse 9? Verse 9 has this wonderful promise. We will reap a harvest. But it also has a condition. It has a condition that is a calling on our life. It's a calling to faithfulness. A calling to continue believing and to continue obeying. Trusting and obeying. Verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So here's point number one this morning. Point number one. Don't give up. The first part of this verse says, let us not become weary in doing good. Let's not get fatigued. Let's not grow too tired to go on. Let's not lose heart. Don't give up. Of course, the Galatians were tempted to give up the gospel. They were tempted to believe a false gospel, another gospel, which is really no gospel at all. But they were also tempted to give up doing good works. They were tempted to to give up, to stop doing good. They were tempted to stop loving the people around them. That's easy to do, isn't it? To get just tired of doing good. To get what we call compassion fatigue. To just want to throw in the towel and stop loving the hard-to-love people around you. I mean, it's fine to keep on loving the lovables, but how about the, the unlovables? Man, it gets old real fast. That has happened to me at times. Let me tell you why this verse is so precious to me. A few years ago, I've told you this story before, but I'll tell you again. A few years ago, I grew weary of doing good as a pastor. I just got tired of doing what was right in a few relationships that were difficult for me. And so I just avoided people. Not the people that were lovable, that was easy, I kept doing that. But the the unlovables, and we all are like that sometimes, I avoided them. I stopped doing that part of my job. I, I just made excuses. But God had engraved this verse on my soul. And it it became my biggest goad, poke, poke, don't grow weary in well-doing. And it became then my prayer request. King James, let us not be weary in well-doing. And so at that time, I made a list of people to whom I needed to apologize. It was several people long. People that I had failed as their pastor in some significant way. I had just given up with them. And God said, Matt, do not grow weary in well-doing. It took me several months, almost a year, to apologize to everyone on the list. 
but by God's grace I did. And I felt an incredible freedom and joy. How about you? Are you tempted to give up doing good? Hear the promise that goes with that calling. At the proper time, we will reap a harvest. I know, I hear it too. At the proper time, it says, right? Or in due season. That means waiting. That means being patient. That means that we sow now and we reap later. We can't say, you know, boy, I'd really like an apple this afternoon. So this morning, I'm going to put some apple seeds in the ground, right? So this afternoon, I'll have an apple. That's not how it works. There's sowing now and there's reaping later. So we've got to wait. And we can't give up while we wait. We've got to hold on for the harvest. We will reap a harvest. So don't give up. Are you tempted right now to be giving up? There are a lot of reasons to feel like throwing in the towel. I don't have to list them for you. I could do a whole sermon on why we might feel like giving up, but you feel that already. Do you feel the promise? We will reap a harvest. Now, what is it that we're supposed to not give up doing? Look at verse 9 again. Let us not become weary in doing good. Here's point number two. Do good. Look at verse 10. Therefore, because of the harvest, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Because we will reap a harvest, we're supposed to not give up doing good works, doing things that will serve others, doing good to all people, but especially the church, the family of believers. Do good. Now, what does that look like? I think that's what Paul is talking about in this whole section of Galatians 5.26 through 6.10. It's all about the good that we're supposed to be doing to each other. It's all about relationships. It's all about community. The good we're supposed to be doing to one another in the church. This is what keeping in step with the Spirit looks like. And it's what doing good to people looks like. So let's back up to 526 now and look at some specifics. 526. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. See, that's the opposite of doing good. In this section, Paul is going to toggle back and forth between what not to do and what to do to love others. He starts with the negative. Don't get into competition with others. Let us not become conceited or prideful or the old word here, the old English word that we use is vainglorious. We don't use that one very much. I don't think anybody used, did anybody use the word vainglorious this week? I'll give you 10 bucks if you already had, right? Yeah, yeah. I need a signed affidavit on that one. Yeah. We probably didn't use vainglorious, right? What's it mean? It actually means empty of glory, or concerned about one's own empty glory. Don't get, it's becoming so full of oneself that it leads to provoking or competing and envying each other. You see how both of those come from vainglorious? It's thinking so much about yourself that you can only think about others as they compare to you. Do you know anybody that does that constantly? 
We have social media for that, right? Constantly comparing ourselves to others, and it comes out in either competing, I'm better than you, or envying, you're better than me, and I hate you for it. That's not doing good to all people. Look at what is, chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Doing good to someone who has found themselves trapped in a sin means restoring them gently. Now that's not easy to do. For one thing, most people who are trapped in a sin don't want to be restored. They want to be left alone with their trap, thank you very much. So it requires a loving rebuke. And that's hard to do gently. So you can see why Paul says that we shouldn't grow weary in doing good. This is hard work. Loving rebuke gently. That gets tiring. But it's a good work to do. I know that right now, while I'm sane, I want someone to love me enough to step into my life if I get caught in a besetting sin and try to restore me gently. Because that's what love does. That's what Christians do. They help each other to get out of their sinful traps. Do you you see how this is supposed to work in verse 1? Brothers, if someone who is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Who's that? Is that a special class of Christians? They're the spiritual Christians. I don't think so. I think it just means the true Christians. You know, the ones who have the Spirit. The ones who, chapter 5, are led by the Spirit, walk by the Spirit, are producing the fruit of the Spirit, and are keeping in step with the Spirit. Those who are the ones who love others enough to do them good by confronting and forgiving and restoring those who have been caught in a sin. You see the warning, though, in the second half of verse 1? But watch yourself. Or you also may be tempted. You might have the same temptation that your sinning friend has fallen into. Or you might be tempted to pride. Tempted to think that because you are helping him, that you're really something. You're the spiritual ones. And you're immune to the sins of these lesser mortals. I know people who love to point out sin in others, but they can't seem to see it in themselves. Verse 2. Carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. That's what it means to do good to the family of believers. It means to carry each other's burdens. I heard Pastor Tim Keller talk about this verse. He said it's like helping somebody move furniture. If the chest of drawers weighs 200 pounds, you can't carry it yourself. Maybe there's some bodybuilder guys in here who can do that but it's it'd be hard but if two guys grab it then you're both only carrying 100 pounds right and if four guys grab it and can get through the door with it they you they only have to live 50 pounds each what i think is interesting is that this verse makes it clear that we all have burdens we've all got heavy stuff in our lives And we're not supposed to carry those burdens all by ourselves. You know, when somebody says, do you have a prayer request? No, I'm good. Oh, nothing you need prayed for at all? Now, I understand. They're like, I don't want to burden you with my prayer request. But 
What does this say? This is, this is our job, to carry each other's burdens. We're supposed to share our loads with one another. I help you. You help me. Everybody takes a corner. We get there. That's one of the reasons why we have the church. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Isn't that interesting? The Galatians were so concerned about obeying the law, or at least the false teachers wanted them to be, Paul says if you love other people, especially the people in your church, and you carry their burdens, you're fulfilling the law. Not the law of Moses. The law of Jesus Christ. How are you doing at carrying the burdens of others? Are you praying for somebody? Some heavy thing on their heart? Not just saying you're going to. Thoughts and prayers. But actually praying for them? Are you helping people out? The people around you? Unless this is your first Sunday with us, Everybody in this room should have relationships with other people in this room and should know some of each other's burdens and be doing something to help each other carry them. That's what we're here for. To what extent is that happening? Are you doing that? This is what we're supposed to be doing. Now, it's going to look different for for different people, right? My carrying somebody's burden, I'm going to carry one corner one way, somebody else is going to carry another corner another way. We're going to have different people that we interact with, different callings, different styles. It's going to look totally different for totally different people. But that's what the church is supposed to be. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. Do good. Our deaconesses are helping us do that, right? They're collecting those, uh, those things there in the back. But they don't do it all for us. We don't delegate all the burden carrying to the deaconesses right? We all do it for each other. Look at verse 3. Isn't it interesting how Paul keeps toggling between what to do and what not to do? Or, or, Or maybe it would be better to say that he keeps toggling between how to look at other people with eyes of love and how to look at yourself with a basic mistrust of your own heart. Verse 3, if anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else, for each one should carry his own load. Here's point number three. Keep an eye on yourself. Paul is telling us to examine ourselves. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. I think he means if you think you're too good to carry somebody else's burdens, then you're in danger. You're not above helping somebody else with their problems. Watch out for that attitude. Test yourself. He says each one should test his own actions. Don't just test your intentions. Look at what you've actually done. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. Now, I don't think he means that you should expect to boast or take pride in your own actions on your own merits. That would throw out whatever else he said so far in this, in this letter. It would be antithetical to everything he teaches in the rest of this letter and and really all of his other letters. I think he's basically just saying that you should keep a critical eye on yourself instead of a critical eye on everybody else. I don't know about you, but that's what comes naturally to me. I kind of give myself a pass, and I'm always kind of quick to condemn somebody else. 
And if you can honestly say that your motivations come from faith and love, then you can boast that God has done His work in you on the day of Christ Jesus. And it's not what someone else has done, but what God has done in you. For, look at the end of verse 5, for each one should carry his own load. Huh. That's interesting, isn't it? Because it sounds almost like the opposite of verse 2, that we help each other carry, uh, carry their loads. And verse 2 said, everybody grab a corner of the chest of drawers, right? Now it's saying everybody has to, has to carry their own load. It's different kind of loads. In verse 2, that's a burden, like a heavy thing. It's a trial, something difficult somebody's going through. In verse 5, a load means a responsibility. It's a calling. Verse 5 means that we don't pass the buck. We take responsibility for the things God has called us to do. doesn't mean that we shouldn't expect help. Verse 2 tells us that we're going to need it. But it does mean we don't blame everybody else for all of our failures. Everybody needs to carry our own load in Christianity. We don't pass it off onto somebody else. Well, that's, that's their job to do what God has called me to do. Of course, that's by faith as well. We don't carry our own load in our own power any way about it. But we do need to keep an eye on ourselves. We need to have a basic distrust of our natural motives and inclinations. You know, that's not what Disney says, right? That's not what the world says. The world says, trust your heart, follow your heart, follow your desires. But the Bible says, that's dangerous advice. We need to keep a weather eye on our hearts and our desires. Isn't that interesting? This whole passage is about doing good to others and being gentle with them. But it's also, at the same time, about being critical of ourselves and not going easy on our own sin. Helping others but distrusting ourselves. How are you doing at that? For me, sometimes I'm good at that. But often I'm not. I let my guard down and I give myself little passes. And the next thing you know, I'm off course. I'm following my own desires and I'm thinking I'm better than somebody else and I'm concerned that I'm worse than others and I'm jealous of them for it. And I think I'm really something or I think I'm really nothing. And I need to take a good hard look at myself. How about you? Verse 6 says, Anyone who receives instruction in the Word must share all good things with his instructor. This is also about doing good. I think this is basically a call to pay your pastor. And this church is really good at that. Thank you. But notice how he toggles from the good right back into the bad. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Do you feel the warning? Are you paying attention? Do you feel this? He says, don't lie to yourself. It's possible to lie to yourself. To even believe the lies you tell yourself. God cannot be mocked. That's a strong sentence, isn't it? Cannot. It's a basic law of the universe. You don't get away with anything. God has built the principle of actions and consequences of sowing and reaping into the fabric of the universe. Now this is not karma. Sometimes the world throws around that word karma. This is not some impersonal force like karma. It is God's personal sowing and reaping principle. 
Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Paul says there's just basically two kinds of people. There's two kinds of sowing. There's two kinds of reaping. Two ways of living. Those who sow, literally, into the flesh, like the sinful nature is the field, will reap destruction or corruption. That's what will happen to unbelievers. To those who do not put their faith in and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But those who sow into the Spirit, like the Holy Spirit is the field, will reap eternal life from that Spirit. That's what happens to genuine believers who walk by the Spirit, are led by the Spirit, allow the Spirit to produce His fruit in them and keep in step with the Spirit. They sow to the Spirit and they reap eternal life. We will reap a harvest. So don't give up. Verse 9 again, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And do good. Verse 10 again, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And keep an eye on yourself. Don't sow to the flesh. Don't listen only to your heart and your own desires. They are fallen and they are fleshly. And the end of that road is destruction. Instead, sow to the Spirit. Put all of your energy into what He wants and what brings glory to Jesus Christ. Do good to all people, even children far away that will open a shoebox full of your love. And do good to the people right here close to you, right here in this room. Be the church to each other, restoring each other gently, carrying each other's burdens, looking out for each other's welfare. And don't stop until you see your Savior's face, until He brings all of the blessings that He has so faithfully promised, because we will reap a harvest.